is Adam. We had the amazing opportunity to speak with Arthur Hanlon over Zoom video. Arthur was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan to Irish-American immigrants. And I only say where his parents are from because Arthur is not Latin, yet he is an incredibly successful Latin musician. So Arthur tells us the story of how he really took this path in life as a Latin musician, writes all his songs in Spanish now, really fully immersed himself in Latin culture and has done very, very, very well for himself. So Arthur tells us about going to school in Detroit, attending college, and then eventually getting his graduate degree at a conservatory in New York. He talks about moving to Los Angeles after his stint in New York, trying to get signed, never got signed in LA, but he moves to Miami and that's where he gets a deal with a record label in LA, which is funny. But we hear about that. We hear all about his new record and the HBO series that went along with it called Piano y Mujer and how that all came about. You can watch our interview with Arthur on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. We'd love it if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Arthur Hanlon. This podcast is all about you and your journey in music and how you got to where you are now. Awesome. Awesome. Can't wait. Very, very cool. So I did read uh, you're from Detroit originally. Right. And you're, where does the Latin roots come in? Because from what I read, you weren't, you're of Irish American parents. 100%. Both my parents are Irish immigrants. Uh, yeah, it's a <laughs> weird story. Um, I grew up with six brothers and sisters in Detroit, you know, with this passion for piano. Okay. Well, my, my, my parents are like, you know, here we're hardworking immigrants. I don't see it. Music. No, you got to work in this country. What are you, what are you talking about? Right, like, right. Oh, what I want to do, the only thing I want to do. So my parents basically said, all right, let's make a deal. You know, the best in the world are in New York, in the, at least in this country. You know, if you can get into some top conservatories there, then maybe we'll, we'll talk. Okay. Uh, and thank God I got into Manhattan School of Music, which is an amazing, amazing. Right. But what they didn't realize is it's in 122nd in, in Broadway in Morningside Heights in a barrio neighborhood to this day, which is Dominican, Puerto Rican, Colombian. Uh, you know, the bachata, the salsa, all this music was come, emanating from that. And for me, it was like impossible to ignore it. You right. know, I didn't play Motown uh, in Detroit and lots of blues. And so that's just was like, oh my God, what is this? There's all this, you know. There's all this piano in it and everything. It. <laughs> and my, so my career went, you know, kind of in another direction. That is crazy. Well, we'll get into that. I want to rewind quite a bit. So you have six siblings. Six siblings. Okay. And are you the only musician in the family or do you come from a musical family? They're all musical. I'm the only one that uh, <laughs> that pursued it as a, as a career. Okay. Uh, my grandfather was the bagpipist in the village where, you know, he'd play all the weddings and all the, all the pubs and all that stuff. So wow. definitely music was a huge part of, uh, you know, my family growing up. Okay. And your parents immigrated here from uh, Ireland? They went either Ireland to Canada, Canada to, to, to the U.S. Okay. And were you, all of you born in the United States, in Detroit? All of us children, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you grew up in Detroit then. And how did you get into piano? Like, I mean, what drew you to piano and how old were you? I was six and you know, as I, my, my parents loved music. Um, and so my dad bought a, a, you know, for a surprise for Christmas, a, a, you know, a little piano for the, for the kids. Uh, for, you know, two days before Christmas, this thing came, mommy, what's that? Oh, it's a piano, you'll see. 
And a half an hour to place, uh, later, my dad's uh, best friend was a professional pianist in Detroit, played all over town. And he showed up and he sat down. I started playing and I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, my brothers and sisters were jumping around the house, dancing, and I, I was just like in a trance. It, you know, that day, I'll never forget that day. <laughs> so, and then from that moment on, you wanted to pursue the piano. That never took a day off. Okay. So then uh, did you get in lessons and did your other siblings play at all? They all played, you know, and to my parents, it, it was really cool because uh, as much as he said, okay, you got to get a real job, they, they insisted on music that we all played piano and something else, at least for a couple of years. Okay. So the house was like my sister Mary was on the violin practicing. My sister Colleen was on the clarinet. My brother was a drummer. Uh, so after dinner, it was like a family <laughs> band. Yeah, like a music school all over that. You know, it was like crazy. That is cool. And you stuck with it, obviously. Uh, did you play piano for the school orchestra or bands and, and all that? I played everything I could. Uh, you know, I also played saxophone. I, uh, started playing in groups when I was like 16 in Detroit. And as I mentioned, my dad's best friend played professional. He didn't read a note of music. So I studied obviously, but he's, you know, for me, it was really, he taught me how important it was to be able to follow your ear, you mm -hmm. know, in your soul, you know, what's important, you know, you don't really need notes all the time. You can just hear something. And, you know, he really taught me to think on my feet and, and improvise and stuff like that, which is, you know, a huge tool. Sure, sure. But and obviously you can read music, but um, a lot of people can't. A lot of professional musicians can't read music. Paul McCartney doesn't read music. Imagine. Uh, I didn't know that. Wow. That, that's, that crazy? that's incredible. <laughs> oh, I knew that there were some obviously some big, big artists, but I didn't realize like the top tier artist doesn't read music. That's, that's <laughs> nuts. I guess you didn't have to if you had like a hundred hit songs. Wow, uh, music, you sure sure wow okay when did you start playing the you talked about playing some gigs in uh in detroit like with other musicians like were you fairly young and playing with like older people because you were so talented or they how did all, that work 10 years older at least uh yeah starting the neighborhood band when i was uh 16 <laughs> We were the house band at Joy Social Hall on Telegraph Road, and we were playing all kinds of like weddings. And I was like, wow, this is great, man. I get to go in. I can have a rum and coke. No one will know. I can eat wedding cake. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, so I, and get paid for it. It's like, and I play, you know. <laughs> so that's how I started. Then um, when I was like 18, I got with the sub bass player who played with Flip Jackson, who was the Temptations musical director. Uh, wow. For a while. And this guy was like in his mid forties. I was a kid, but he took me under his wing and I started playing six nights a week with this Motown band. I was the only white guy in the, the band. And that really kind of expanded my horizons hugely, mm -hmm. you know, to play all that Motown stuff and uh, all those different rhythms and talk about having to think on your feet and improvising and going from one thing to the next. And sure. <laughs> wow. 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 And were you in high school still at this point? I was a freshman in college. Yeah. Freshman in college. Where were you going to school? And I was doing the Michigan State. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Were you going for a piano? Yeah. Of course, I was going for piano. And, um, and yeah, and I just started playing gigs and gigs again, then moving to New York. You know, for me, the New York experience really was just a continuation of, of, of what I was doing, playing, you know, blues and Motown. Yeah. You know, there's tons of percussion in Motown and obviously in Latin music, the percussion's all over the place. Uh huh. So, and then, so when you moved, did you, so you graduated from Michigan State, and then what? 
pursued a graduate degree from Manhattan School yeah, of Music? Manhattan School of Music, exactly. I did okay. From Manhattan. And, and again, the neighborhood was, you know, full of Boricua, Puerto Ricans and all that pachata and the salsa and, and the merengue was just, you know. So my mom started calling me Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde because during the day I'd be like. And then at night, I. playing these latin clubs and stuff and just mixing everything around and changing the beat and just you know really what can i come up with that's different and new and not just you know regular i guess right you know so then do you like obviously you learn spanish and and like how does like you really embraced right i mean you really like immerse yourself in that whole culture the latin culture yeah, it just one thing led to another. You know, I went to a, a Willie Colon concert in New York, a Pajito de Rivera from Cuba, and then uh, Grupo Nietzsche from Colombia is, is a big band in Gran Combo de Puerto Rico. I saw them, and just one thing after another. And the more I got into it, and then I had this crazy idea that, okay, I can, you know, be this gringo that plays Latin music. And, right. Uh, so I moved to LA. I started uh, my Latin band. I was playing all over town, but I, for like six years, I could not get signed i could not get a record deal oh wow uh, so then i moved well, to miami and then within one year i get signed by a label in la <laughs> really <laughs> why, why did you leave new york to go to los angeles just because um i had spent a couple of summers out there and playing and i knew some musicians out there uh and i don't know it just it just felt right you know and, and it was great it was a great experience um and i was able you know la was very open too to to what i was doing but getting yeah, it's one thing playing in clubs and everything. It's one thing getting a record deal. So, mm -hmm. you know. so were, were you releasing? Did you have like a record out while you're living in Los Angeles? Or yeah, I had an indie record out called Encuentros, which is like meetings of, uh, you know, which I wrote uh, the, saw all the songs for and playing all over town. Um, and then finally, it's just like you know what? Uh, it's just been six years. And these labels were interested, but no one wanted to sign me. So you know, Miami. This is like 2000. It was starting to. You know, it was, it was huge, you know, it was growing up. Ricky Martin was coming mm -hmm. out, you know, Mark Anthony from New York, everyone was mixing stuff. And so, yeah, then I moved here. And, and again, after LA ignoring me for six years, once I'm in Miami, I get signed in LA. So. That's crazy. So you, so because of you weren't getting the recognition that were getting a label, that's why you moved to Miami, just because it's a bigger, what, Latin scene there? Yeah, it, yeah, completely. You know, okay. you know um, and, it's funny, Miami's yeah, huge, but at the same time, yeah, you know, it, and the perception that you know, while the world perceives it's huge, it's which it is, but at the same time, it's very hometowny, you know. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows each other, especially in the music industry. You know, you, you go to the same meetings, you see the same people and the same concerts and the studio guys. Uh, so it was manageable. I actually hooked up with um, a guy who became my manager. His name Fernand Martinez, and he was Enrique Iglesias' manager at the time. Wow. And uh, Ricky was signed to this label, Fonovisa, in LA. And so Fernand's like this Colombian guy. Ah, okay, I can sell that. I can sell. Okay, now you're the now you're the gringo. Uh, you're the American guy that plays Latin music in Miami. You know, and so the perception then in LA is like, oh wow, there's this gringo in Miami. That's amazing. And so that's how I got. You know, that's how I got signed. Crazy. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, when was the first song, or or when? What was the first song that you had written in Spanish, and was that different than what you had been done? Prior to that, like, were you writing lyrics in Spanish always? My Mi Alma Latina was the first song, my Latin soul. <laughs> that was 
my first demo, I'd shop all over town there and everyone's like, no, that's so trite, my Latin soul. Come on, guy. You know, that's been done before. So <laughs> But it was a, a song that you had written completely in Spanish. I wrote it completely in Spanish. Yeah. And uh <laughs> was how long did it take you to pick up the language? I started in New York, you know, doing gigs, you know, hey Matt, you just I never really studied. Um but it just you know, because music helps it helped obviously enormously. Okay. Uh, and dating some Latin women helped a lot too, you know. <laughs> sure. I'm married to a Colombian now, so. Okay. <laughs> so you were able to, yeah, just immerse yourself in 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 it in the culture. Um, and were you always like, I mean, up until you got kind of involved in this Latin scene, prior to that, were you writing songs that were in English? And when was that? Is that when you transitioned? When that you wrote that first song? In Spanish? Uh, my transition was, you know, music, music right. speaking. Right, right. <laughs> uh, I was always like mixing ever, you know, when I got to New York, I saw, you know, people, so many people were just completely bilingual, fl flipping from Spanish to English. And that was fascinating to me to, mm -hmm. you know, certain languages are better. Sometimes Spanish is better to communicate a thought and sometimes English is better. And so I love the idea, the kind of this notion of mixing and, and matching and, you know, and putting things together. Uh, and then in New York, I, started uh that's right after i graduated there's this producer called rick wake who was doing a bunch of sony stuff uh, and all the latin stuff uh and so it was crazy i was thinking as rick you know he's this huge producer he's in new york and i was in miami i just moved to miami and they were flying me up to these latin sessions even though like new york right around the corner and you know because but he was so in you know so he was the american side and there was the latin side mm -hmm. no one was really they were starting the mix but not like it is now mm -hmm. uh, so I'd get flown up to, to do sessions playing Latin piano when New York City could have like, you know, gone in Spanish Harlem and say, okay, there's three guys right here. They're amazing. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, so once you get signed to the, the LA label, how did that change your career? Um, well, tons of ways. It was an eye opener. It was great, you know, um, but you know, you're in Nashville and you think, oh my God, I'm signed up now. I'm a, you know, I got yeah, I'm a star. <laughs> <laughs> and right. so I, when I was so excited, I flew back to LA, uh, you know, to sign my contract. I walked into Fonovisa and I could see him walking in and people are looking at me and I like the, you know, the, the woman at the, the desk is like, and you are, she's probably thinking, who's this white guy, like the new accountant or something? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm Arthur Hand. Oh, wow, wow, yeah, come on in, sign. But, you know, the first album was called uh, El, El Piano Amarillo, The Yellow Piano. Okay. Uh, done with Julio Reyes, which is a multi-Grammy winning producer now. It was his, his first album, my first album. And, you know, the uh, we, we turned it in and then uh, we go to this big meeting and everyone's like, well, you know... I'm really, this is like Chinese to me. <laughs> There's this LA label because we're mixing stuff. Yeah, and, they had no idea. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, so that was kind of a reality check too. Okay, yes, I am signed, but you know, there's no private jet waiting for me right now yet. Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> do you go, like, do you tour on the road with that album or like what, like how do you start getting in front of people? Uh, back then or you mean now or no back then when that when that first when you got signed to the label it's like okay you're gonna put out uh the piano amarillo and then you're gonna go on tour is that what happened like how did in my mind that was gonna happen but that did not happen because the album did not do well at all you know uh, okay <laughs> um but, but you put out three records with that first label 
Well, yeah, but then Phono Visa got picked up by Univision Records, and that was a game changer for me. Oh, uh, okay. Because then the, the CEO was Jose Bejar, uh, who was from Miami, Cuban, uh, from Cuba actually, then Miami, completely bilingual, moved to LA, and he really got me uh, what I was doing. Because uh, so he helped me in my career along, um, you know, immensely. And then okay. my third album was La Gorda Linda, which and is that, a song I wrote, and that song went to number one. Yeah, you had a huge hit on that record. And so that definitely was the game changer. You know, I was. What like, was it like having that having that song just kind of take off? It was weird, Adam. It was like I'm on the plane, I get a call, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. And then my manager's like, dude, dude, it's number one, it's number one. I'm like, what's number one? I'm like, put it in my bag. He's like, idiot, your song, your song is. Number one. I'm like, you're kidding. So, That's crazy. And then at this point, you're playing a lot of shows. Yeah, like touring quite a bit. Did that was it like a game changer as far as like crowds and and recognition when when that song went number one? Yeah, and exposure. And um, I'm sure it's the same. You know, in, in Nashville, they there's a lot of festivals. You know, like the mm -hmm. the, the radio hits, and then you have the eight, you know, five or six or seven rate artists. Uh, right. Yes. Yeah, so I started doing a bunch of that. I played a Madison Square Garden in a, in a, a show with it, which was like you know. I couldn't believe it. Oh, wow. Like, Especially in living in New York. I mean, living in how... New York and like playing these gigs for 50 bucks. And then, you know, and then eight years later, whatever it was. Uh, so that was like mind boggling to me. Uh, uh, I'm very grateful. <laughs> I can't even imagine. And then you signed to what, EMI? And I signed to EMI for one album, um, which is a, we recorded in Spain. And then EMI had their EMI problems and they went out of business. Right. Uh, but they were a major label. They were I mean, getting signed. Oh. Yeah, getting signed to a major label. That must have been a, a huge step in your career yeah, at this as well. Point, all the executives, you know, if there, there's there's Warner, there's uh, Universal, uh, Sony, of course. Uh, you know, it was like five or six of them at the time. At that point, okay, this guy's different. We, you know, what can we do? He's this is this is you know this could be cool. And so um, then after that, I signed with Universal. Actually, mm -hmm. yeah, I think Universal took over EMI's catalog, and then I did that. Uh, and um, my first album with, with them was called Encanto del Caribe, which is uh, turned out to be a PBS special as well, a television special. Wow. It's a mix, you know, you know, again, mix and match. So uh, I had this idea, you know, because PBS loves that kind of, you know, world world stuff. And, mm -hmm. and so we pitched the idea. They loved it. I called people that I'd started working with a lot, uh, you know, Mark Anthony, uh, Laura Pausini from Italy, uh, Natalia Menes from Spain. And we, uh, you know, we kind of got all this, these created this synergy and we recorded in a, in a castle in, in Puerto Rico. We turned Whoa. it into a stage. And it was the first, imagine, it was the first Latin special ever on PBS. Uh -huh. know, Pika, Kansas, you know, Encanto del Caribe. I thought that was cool, you know. Um, sure, that's amazing. So, yeah. Uh, and so then, you got to record in a, you said a castle in Puerto Rico? Yeah, San Cristobal Castle. It's it's actually a national uh, heritage. It's mine. It, it was never open before the public for for you know commercial purposes. So I had to go then a bunch of times, and we spoke with the governor and the the head of the, the people that ran it, and said, "No, yeah, I'm the, this gringo. Yeah, I love that the music, this culture. We're doing something that's amazing for." Her. And they finally just after saying no, no, after three months, they get you know what? All right, fine, go for it. And really. So, yeah. So and we, then what? PBS bring cameras in and like, how did the show? How was it shot? Yeah, we shot with with PBS in a company called SBS, uh, a production company. Uh, they own radio stations also all over the country. 
Okay. So we've created the synergy between Universal, between PBS, between SBS. And yeah, that's exactly what we did. We set, made a stage from scratch. Uh, and there's all these, you know, like castles. It's a, like a fort. There's Mark Anthony started his song. He's like way up in the, and then walks down the stairs. And then we had this 40 piece band. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> wow. Okay. And from there, you even got to what? You, you got to work with even, you know, other big artists aside from Mark Anthony. You did what? A glorious stuff on record. Like, was that all at, right after that? Pretty much, yeah, right around the same time or, or shortly thereafter, yeah. I went on tour with Laura Pausini, you know, who's Italian superstar. Super, yeah, huge. Yeah, so we, we had a great time. She's a dear friend. And, and you know, yeah, and just because um, my, I think what I'm, I'm never comfortable with just sitting down, okay, here's the melody. I play piano. So. I like to think, you know, what can I do that's different? What hasn't really been done before, you know? Mm -hmm. And take this, this, yeah, it's a musical instrument, but for me, it's, it's, it's like a vehicle, you know, where can I, how can I take people to a different place, you know, and create a synergy maybe with it, this, this vocalist that it's not just piano accompanying a singer, but together we can, we can create some kind of energy that's, you know, that's new. Yeah. And you did another big thing with the, the uh, drop of love, uh, drop of life. I'm sorry. Talk to me about that. Like, what? 46, 46 artists. What? Yeah, because um, I'm signed with BMI and um, BMI called me one day and said, look, there's this initiative here at City of Hope uh, Hospital in Los Angeles. It's a children's hospital, um, you know, especially laughing kids that have cancer. It's a, there's a cancer cancer ward. We want to raise awareness uh -huh. and for bone marrow and all that, that testing and all that stuff. And so I toured the hospital with a, a bunch of people and it was just all these upbeat children. Just like I was like I was amazed. So I went home and I wrote this song called La Gota de la Vida, you know, the drop of life. You know, how one little drop can, can change everything and can, things can grow. And, and, and I wrote the song, I, took, I was at Universal at the time and uh, I played it for uh, Jesus Lopez, the CEO, he, he loved it. And said, okay, let's do, we can do like a We Are The World type of thing. And uh, again, I just started calling everybody, <laughs> Enrique, uh, Marco Antonio Solis, uh, Plácido Domingo was on it. It was crazy. And we did it during Grammy week in, in Las Vegas too. So everyone was there. And wow. So, I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm recording this. I really want you to be on, uh, you know, can, can you do it? I know this, this show's tomorrow. We're, we're going to be here all day, you know, the day before the, the Grammy. And everyone, everyone showed up. It was, no one charged a penny. There was no egos involved. It was just for the, you know, the kids. So. That, and then you guys all played together. Like, tell me about, I'm, I'm kind of confused on how 46 artists got together. Was it like you all would play or was it all on the same song? It was, yeah, the one song we had the basic track done, the artist would come in and recording studio, they'd sing, they'd uh -huh. their part, then immediately they'd go to the other room where they have, we had the camera set up and they would film, you know. Oh, they, wow. Yeah, we had it down, so it was like a, it was like a, like a yeah, like a, <laughs> you had it going, <laughs> you had a system there. <laughs> what year was that? It? It's like 2014, I think. Okay. Yeah. Because you were still on uh, Universal at that point, and then you signed to Sony, which you're, you're on currently. And I signed to Sony, yeah, Sony Music with Alfo Berdo, the CEO, was amazing. Uh, Tell heard, me about that moment. That was, um, I got asked to play in that Nassau Coliseum with a couple of other artists, uh, which is really right before Christmas, and this is like 2015. And uh, it was Ricky um, was there, Mark was not there, uh, myself and a couple, couple other artists. And, you know, mostly Sony artists. And I was like universal. And so, but all the Sony, um, you know, the executives were all there and they heard my set 
And then I got a knock on the door. It was crazy. And it was the CEO, awful. Arthur, that was amazing. What are you doing? Uh, how's your you know, contract? And you know, he, we, we hit it off. There's great chemistry. He, he's a musician. Uh, Alpha was amazing. He started as a guitar player producer. And one of the only people I think in the music business that, you know, and I was an is executive. That, is actually like a player. He actually, he actually <laughs> plays. <laughs> right, right, right. Instead of just a suit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you play a song for him, it's not like, well, I have to wait to see, have, see, have other people hear it to, before I have an opinion, you know? <laughs> so, right, he knows right away. You know, you, know, you know what here, the bass needs to be a little bigger. You know, you could cut the chorus a little bit. Uh, you know, the bridge is a little too long. Yeah, like wow. <laughs> That's amazing to have somebody like that to be able to like help you structure and help you kind of cut cut stuff up and edit the song. I'd imagine, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's it's great. Uh, I couldn't couldn't believe it the first time he, I'm in his office and he just picks up a guitar. I knew he was good and he just starts. Well, you know, how about this? He's <laughs> <It's> like, okay, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and okay. And you've um. You've been with them for a while. I mean, since what, 2016-ish? And put out a record and some singles? Yeah, put out a record. The first one's called Viajero, which means traveler. Um, you know, we had this big meeting. They took into account, okay, what, who's this guy? This, you know, this, this crazy American, Irish-American guy. Okay. <laughs> Playing Latin music. <laughs> yeah. So they had to, we came up with this idea of just going to like nine different countries and, uh, and filming everything, make a documentary, and then film in Mexico, in Spain, Portugal, Italy, uh, went to Rio de Janeiro, uh, Argentina, Colombia. <laughs> and uh, and I just hang out, you know, several days, however long it took, uh, hang out with the best musicians there. And then, you know, play like an iconic song, my version of it. Uh, and that actually became a, a documentary too. <laughs> wow. And did you, going into it, did you know they're going to film it as a documentary? Or yeah, did it just kind of happen? Okay. We everything in advance. You know, in Mexico, for example, Armando Manzanero was like the most famous Mexican composer ever. He's like, he was like 83 at the time. So I was, had the honor to go to his personal studio, to play with him four hands on the same piano. And it was, it was amazing. Italy, the same thing. It, you know, it was, it was crazy. Wow. And then come 2020, where were you at? Like, because I know you put a couple singles out in 2019. Uh, but 2020, were you getting ready to, were you on the road writing music? Like, where were you when? Every, when the virus happened and everybody got stuck inside. <laughs> when the virus hit the fan. When <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were, I was about to start a new project. Yeah. The tour, we were going to go on the road again. And then everything, as you know, from one day to the next, like no airplanes, no concerts, no anything. And I was here with my piano and my, my studio, uh, you know, thinking, okay, what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, like everyone else, you know? Um, then after a couple of weeks, I'm like, all right, I can sit here and cry in my beer or do something positive and turn this into something, you know, positive energy, you know? Uh -huh. And since I was a kid, I always wanted to do something like, like piano, like piano and woman, something like that. Um, cause you know, starting playing, I did so many gigs in Detroit, for example, like we were the house band and a lot of times the people didn't have the budget for the whole band. So, you know what, don't worry, we'll send Arthur and his piano and the female vocalist. Arthur and the female vocalist. So it was like hundreds of gigs I did, just me and the- Female you know, vocalist. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, different repertoire from all over. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a format I've always loved. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, now's a great time. You know, this pandemic, now's a, how about, you know, putting this project together? And, and Sony loved the idea. And that's what you've, you've worked on since, since the pandemic happened. Yeah, so that started in like May 
um, wow, it was, it was insane. Uh, you know, first of all, that we knew, okay, we, it was green lit. They say, okay, let's do it. Let's, everyone had ideas of who to invite. And I was like, you know what? Let, just let me call first my friends, you know, the people I know really well, where there's chemistry. And and I call all five, Connie Garcia from Puerto Rico, Natalie, uh, Natalia Menes from Spain, Gojo from Colombia, Evaluna Montaner, and, uh, and Naila from Venezuela. And all five of them, like, you know, dude, Arthur, count on me. Uh, I'm in, I'm in, let's do it. And, <laughs> and so did you write the songs out and send them the, how it would go? And then they sang it. And then what, send it to you? emailed it to you or whatever, because I would imagine you can't get in the same room as these people. Well, that was initially the idea that because of the pandemic, they're like, all right, you do your pianos there, they'll do the vocals uh, where they are and that's it. But then I got together with my motif, the producer, who's amazing. He's, he's Mark Anthony's right-hand man, uh, as wow. a songwriter, producer, everything. He's one of my, he's a great friend. And we're like, you know, there's, we can't do this. We're not going to handle this virtually. We got, we got to be, so we ended up recording live everything you know we had the ideas for the songs but we, we just, all the behind the scenes is, is all there we went in the studio you know it got tested every three days or whatever it was uh -huh. uh, and first we recorded everything live did the album and at the same time we had you know we had a lot of interest from hbo and then they said they're all in and you know it became an hbo special that just it came out a couple of a couple of months ago it was now streaming uh -huh. on, on uh, that is so cool <laughs> so was everybody together then at like all the singers came and did it like you said it, it was all recorded live or was it like you guys would do a live session with one of the singers and then you know natalia would come in and then you do another song or like how did how did that work as far as recording the, the yeah song? We, we did them individually you know okay because you know one of the benefits like suppose of the, the pandemic is like there wasn't any time constraints really because mm -hmm. studio, you know, it wasn't like before, okay, three hours, you got a session, you know, it's like Nashville. Okay. Three, maybe four hours, two to six, you're out. The song's done, or at least the basic tracks are done. Mm -hmm. we, had, we had three days. So Goya came from Colombia. We just hung out, you know, okay, try this. And we were really able to just, okay, you know, about that. All right. You know, let's have lunch. Let's come back and, and not just uh, okay we, the album's got to be out in six weeks we want it you know for the second quarter they want to do the here's the marketing budget we just we were able to really deep dive into just got all kinds of different ideas that's i, I would imagine that this album wouldn't have turned out the way it did if it wasn't for covid like, I, yeah totally i i agree there's no it wouldn't have i don't know it been insightful I, whatever it is you know everyone's thinking uh deeply about with their family their lives or what's going on in the world and and it came out through the music i, re I really believe mm -hmm. and is this something like without having that pressure like is this uh a way that you think that you'll continue to, to write records or like are you do you think you'll go back to more of the you know traditional sense of how, how you put an album together well that's so funny you say that because i was talking to i'm starting to do a new album with sony uh and they're like all right can we have it ready by november oh. <laughs> okay well i guess they chose for you <laughs> i got another call this afternoon actually and i but you know what i'm thinking maybe first quarter would be better just you know why what's three months you know when you can you know, turn over some other rocks and find different things. And wow, you know, I never, that never occurred to me before, you know? <laughs> right, right. Wow, you must be always writing. Are you constantly like just coming up with stuff to be able to put another, you just put this record out this year and then to have something like, yeah, I can get something done by November. 
<laughs> right? I mean, that's like in two months, <laughs> not even I, a month I and a half. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I write every day, you know. Okay. Uh, morning's my like my, my classical time, my formations on. But then like three or four in the afternoon, I don't know. I did just, it's, uh, you know, everyone has their creative periods or, you know, when's yours? Like, when do you feel most open? Like, Me? Well, Personally? Yeah. Uh-huh. Probably in the afternoon. Yeah. 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 Like in the morning, I got two kids. I got to get them off to school. And then like, yeah. you know, it, it's by the time they're out of the house, it's like, okay, now I have like a couple minutes to decompress. Then I'll probably have an interview. So it's like, I don't, it just depends. I have to get up and, and mentally get ready. Like I have to be up for a few hours before my, my creative juices start going or I'm yeah, able yeah, to I mean, communicate yeah. with people. <laughs> and I come in the morning. So like this note, there's one note, for example, in the morning will beans to me like just something like that, you know, then in the afternoon, the same note <clears throat> means like, Just, it's, I don't know. Everything changes. <laughs> Dude, you're so good. I'm, I'm so jealous of people that can play piano. I grew up my whole life with my sister and my dad could play. We had a piano in the house. And I just, huh? I, like, I just never took up lessons. And now I'm like, I'm getting my kids into it. Because I'm like, this is my biggest regret. You will learn piano and then I will learn off of what you're, you're learning in your piano class. <laughs> like I can play guitar and I understand chords and music and everything. And I can play chords on piano, but I just don't understand. Like, I wish I could just play, sit down and just tinker like how most people that can play piano can. But being in Nashville, um, don't you think people like, in, like that, I was, uh, I went to Cuba to film with Arisha. We did a video a year and a half ago. It's such a musical place. It's like everyone's IQ, musical IQ seems higher. Like, do you think, I think about like Nashville too. Don't you think like there's so much music around that's like impossible not to. Right. Embrace it and, and pick it yeah. up a little bit. No, totally. I mean, we're, I'm originally from San Diego, from California. Uh -huh. So we've moved out here about six months ago. Oh, wow. Uh, so that's why I'm like, really like, I mean, I had my kids in piano lessons prior to moving here, but now it's like. I've got my older son in guitar lessons and my younger son, he got a drum kit like in the beginning of COVID to kind of like get aggression out and like have something to, you know, work out, so to speak. Yeah. So yeah. now I'm kind of like grooming, <laughs> grooming a little family band. Nice. So, yeah. But um, a piano is always something I just, I think is such a beautiful instrument and to hear you play like that, it just blows, I mean, it blows my mind. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. And I, I so you got, possibly another record coming out or are you obviously working on new music and you just put out this other album. Oh, I wasn't a, a, really aware. I, I knew that you had a, a special on HBO, but tell me a little bit more about this. It's called Piano y Mujer, you know, Piano and Woman. Yeah. Um, it's doing really well. Thankfully, it's, it was like a surprise for HBO. They, they had never done anything like this before. Mm -hmm. You know, they have, do a lot of specials. It's usually one artist or but this, you know, we, we presented them with this concept. No, it's this, you know, celebration of women in, in music. And and what's more important too, especially during COVID, you know, uh, the mothers of the, the families uh, uh, putting it together, the grandmothers, the, your sisters, all the support system, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so it, yeah, it came out uh, like three or four months ago and it's a two year, uh, it's, it's, it's gonna be on HBO for two years. So we're really happy. And it's also all over Latin America on the Sony channel too. That is so cool. That <laughs> is really cool. And was it, it was filmed prior to HBO picking it up, right? So it was like something that you guys had put together and then what they were interested or did they get involved well, right away? 
they got involved. They were in, really interested. And once they heard the music, the tracks started coming in like around June, July. Then they they went all in. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, and so then we filmed it here in in Miami in October. In October, COVID was like. <laughs> like in, full force yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, this hotel called the faena hotel it's a beautiful hotel with a theater and uh, like a 300 really elegant theater inside so we took everything out of it and made it into a sound stage you know the, the inside of the theater wow and, but it was like october and so i went and I, I had two masks on hotel was closed so they're like just you know just go for it you know the owner said you know it's, this is hbo it's a righteous project we don't you know just just do it use it right but right then i go in and then connie garcia just arrived from puerto rico she's got like a mask on and a shield <laughs> and we're like looking at each other but our eyes are like like what are we doing this is like insane. A, it was, it's so weird it's so insane yeah, and this, a nerd, there were two nurses and everyone's getting tested. But, but, you know, then we started playing music. We obviously took the masks off. And it was like this release, this like euphoric like, energy, just musical energy that, that was really wonderful, actually. That is so amazing. Have you had a chance to play it? Uh, I mean, live as, as far as like in front of people since, for like, I mean, since the COVID, like a year and a half later? Yeah, well, I've done like a couple of award shows, you know, big things like that. And the tour was supposed to, Piano and Mujer tour was supposed to start here in the States in November, but then um, uh, the variant came around. So we're, we pushed it back the first quarter next year. But we oh, okay. everyone's, everyone's down, the label's down. Uh, we, have a, we have a great um, production company that's, that's involved. So we're gonna start in LA, in New York, in Chicago, Puerto Rico, Miami, and a couple more cities too. Um, but yeah, so we can't, can't, just can't wait to be out playing again with, you know, you know, streaming's one thing, you know, but then you finish and it's like dead silent in your house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, it's so weird. Yeah, it's seeing comments <laughs> and like emojis coming through and you're like, eh, this probably isn't the same. Yeah, no. And then you finish live, as you know, and people stand up and crazy. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, Arthur, man, thank you so much for doing this. This has been so great. I love that you have your piano right there with you and you've been, you know, tinkering. It's just made this whole experience a whole i mean it's it's been great i appreciate you awesome man thanks so much i really appreciate yeah. it yeah i have one more question for you yeah um i want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists yeah definitely uh like the word no does not exist i was taught that by my mentor in, in new york and you hear it so many times you know music business no 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 if someone says no all that means is not right now and it took me a long time i was told that but it, you know, when you, it's one thing you're knocking on doors, you're giving demos and then, then you hear no. And, but then once, you know, you just have to reach a you have to think, okay, okay. It's not, you know, it's just not right now. It's, it's not. Yeah. And that's what, exactly what happened with my career. Six years of knocking on doors and nothing. And then finally the same people said, okay, okay now, <laughs> I guess. Yeah.